Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit TucsonBaptist.com. We pray that today's message is an encouragement to you. Matthew chapter number 5. We're preaching through the book of Matthew, verse by verse. We've been in the book of Matthew many, many months now. And it's going to be well into the end of next year before we finish the book of Matthew. Um, We're going through the Beatitudes one at a time, and we are now at the next Beatitude, found in verse number 8. Before we read that, I want to talk to you something about mask. Mask. Many years ago, I was in the country of Africa, and we went to visit a a museum. And uh, this museum had... Uh, different, th- different items for sale, and, and uh, they, uh, they were a museum that was struggling some financially and they were liquidating some assets, and, and I, I really loved the museum. And this mask was for sale. I, I don't know if anybody can see it from the back. Would you, would you guess why I was interested in the mask? Anyone? I, I, I Just take a, a guess. I know it would be hard. It is an... And uh, I love elephants. I, I, uh, I, uh, sometimes my wife says elephants are my girlfriends. Uh, I love elephants. I, I have a collection of elephants. And, and I was immediately attracted to this elephant. Now, I was attracted to the elephant because it was hanging on the wall. And uh, it was just really cool. It was authentic. It's original. It's not a, uh, something that's been re, uh, uh, reproduced over and over again in a factory. It's a, it is a one-off. And uh, uh, it has age. And it shows uh, where the wood is cracked a little bit. And, and, um, and uh, who knows what, whose DNA is inside of it as a mask. I don't know. But the curator or employee there saw me looking at it, and she says, you know, there's a story behind this mask. And I said, well, of course I don't know. What's the story? She actually pulls out a catalog and shows me that this mask was in a catalog. It was a a prized possession of someone there in Africa, and and it had been marketed. The museum had purchased it, and now they were trying to get rid of some things in the museum. and, and, um, And she showed me the history of this mask. This mask came from the country of Sudan. And it was actually used in, uh, in tribal dances at different festivals. And people would put the mask against their face and they would dance around with the music. And here's the whole purpose of this mask, to hide the identity of the person behind the mask. And so uh, this mask has been held by the tusk in who knows how many festival dances and things like that and probably some things that we wouldn't even approve of when it comes to witchcraft and things like that. Um, This mask has a history. And the purpose of this mask was for people to look at the mask and not see the person behind the mask. I am... I was able to negotiate a good deal, and I was able to, to purchase this mask, and it's been with me, and it's always held this story. It's always been important to me because, spiritually speaking, I think that Christians often do this, and that is, is that we put a mask up, and that is so that people cannot see who we really are. And I want to challenge you today from the Word of God, from Matthew chapter 5, and look with me there in the Bible, verse number 8. The Word of God says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now most of us, 
When I say most, I'm saying most of us wear masks. We do not just wear them trick-or-treating in the end of October. We wear them every day of our lives. What do I mean by wearing a mask? Here's what I mean. We wear one mask when we go to work. In other words, that's what we want people to believe that we are. But when we get back home from work, we take that mask off, and, and then everyone in our family knows who we are. And then if we were to invite friends over to our home, we put up a mask because we want our friends to think that we're this way at our home. But as soon as they leave to go to their home, our mask comes off. We have yet another mask for going to church. And some of you are wearing a mask this morning, and the people in your family are looking at you and saying, who are you? Oh, don't laugh too much, because as soon as you get in the car, the church mask goes off, and the fighting that you had on the way to church will resume as soon as church is over. The reality is, is that many of us, we wear a mask. It reminds me of a cartoon that shows a pastor talking with his wife, and she says, today, let's do something different. Why don't we be charming at home and grouchy at church? There's a lot of us like that. We have a mask at home. We have a mask at work. We have a mask at church. We have a mask with our friends. We have a mask at our sports. We have a mask with our hobbies. There's a lot of us that wear different masks. And we wear these masks so that people cannot really tell who we are. We don't want people to know the genuine us. And often we can fool our employers and we can fool our friends. We can fool our church members and maybe to some measure we can fool our, our families. But there's one person that we can never fool. We can never fool the Lord. We can never fool Jesus. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who lives within the Christian can see through the mask. Now listen, folks, I could put this mask up here and I could have walked up and maybe you wouldn't have been able to tell who I was, maybe by my walk or something. But, but if I had my face hidden, you may have not been able to tell who I was. But you know who knew who I was? Jesus. I can never hide from Jesus. I can never hide my true identity. Lewis Blanchard wrote a convincing piece of poetry. Please listen to this. If Jesus came to your own home to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you would do. I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest, and all the food you'd serve him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your home is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him standing there, could you go to the door with arms outstretched to welcome, into, welcome him as your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change some things before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Would family conversation be continued at its pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say, table grace? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends? Or would you hope they'd stay away until his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on? Or would you sigh with great relief when at last he was gone? It might cause some embarrassment the things that you would do if Jesus came to your own house to spend time with you. I wonder what mask are you wearing this morning? In this great beatitude where Jesus speaks of being pure in heart, he speaks of really taking off 
the mask of learning to be real, genuine, authentic before both man and before God. As we've done with each message in the Beatitudes, let's go on a journey of discovery. Here's discovery number one. As we've done with each Beatitude, let's examine the meaning of pure in heart. The meaning to be pure in heart. Now this term quote-unquote heart, it's a metaphor of the inner person. So Jesus is speaking of the inner person. Heart comes from the Greek word cardia, from which we get our word cardiac and other similar terms. And similar words are used in many cultures to refer to that inner person. It's, it's what I will call the seat of motives and attitudes. It's, it's the very center of our personality. In some societies, they use kidneys or bowels uh, to talk about that inner person. Even Jesus referred to the, the groaning of those bowels. In other words, that inner person. I was thinking about this. Imagine singing, I left my kidneys in San Francisco. Uh, in the Bible, the heart represents that deepest emotion and feeling. And it represents the mind and the will. Old Proverbs says it this way. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The Bible says in Matthew, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said this, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? God has always been more concerned about the inside of a man than his, and his heart than anything else. Would you look at me for just a moment? At the end of time, when it's either your deathbed or the rapture takes place, who you are on the inside will be revealed because that is where your eternal destination is going to be. There's some people that are good at playing church because you wear that mask to perfection. But you know in your heart of hearts, in the inner man, that you're far away from the Lord. In fact, right now it's kind of unnerving for you even to think, I might not truly be a Christian. Well, God knows. And the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Do you remember when God sent the flood? He sent the flood because he saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. After his adultery, David prayed this, Create in me a clean heart, O God. The psalmist Asaph, he wrote, Truly God uh, is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. Jeremiah, he wrote these words, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, and many months from now we'll get to this passage of Scripture. He says, For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, and murders, and adulteries, and fornications, and thefts, and false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. I'm here to say that the inner man, who you are, will be revealed one day. Well, the term pure is a synonym in the Bible for holiness. The word pure translates from catharsis, uh, the word which we get uh, catharsis, or catharsis is a term used in psychology and, and counseling that means a cleansing of the mind or emotions. And the Greek word means to make pure by cleansing from dirt and filth or contamination. 
In classical Greek, the word was most often used to describe metals that had been refined in the fire, and they were pure or free from impurities. Jesus wants us to have a pure or a clean, unmasked heart. Now, when I look at this word purity, there are different meanings. In fact, I think there's about six different meanings in the Word of God. Let's go through these quickly. First of all, when I talk about pure in heart and I talk about purity or the holiness of God, there is divine purity. This is purity or holiness that only belongs to God. It's intrinsic in His nature. You do not have it. I do not have it. Purity or holiness is to God what light is to the sun and wetness is to water. He's the only one that can have this type of purity. Secondly, there is created purity. This is the purity of God's creation before Lucifer's rebellion and the sinful fall of man. Third, there's what I'll call positional purity. Positional purity. This is the purity or holiness that we receive when we trust Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Have you trusted Jesus Christ? If you have, you have positional purity. Purity. The moment you were saved, God imputed the righteousness of Christ in your life. And from that moment we are saved. God sees us as robed in Christ's righteousness. In fact, he even said this in Hebrews, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. In Romans, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. So if you've been saved, you have positional purity in that you've been clothed with the righteousness of God. Fourth, there's there was what I call actual purity. There is actual purity. When God imputes the purity or righteousness of Christ into our lives, it's not just a statement. It is actual. When a Christian sins, it is caused by a sin nature, not the pure inner man, but by the sinful flesh. That's why it's so important that we confess our sins and that we are faithful to acknowledge our sins before the Lord. Fifthly, there's what I call practical Practical purity. This is the hard meaning. It means living on the outside, the purity that is on the inside. And here's what happens. That's a battle. <laughs> I have to share this humorous story with you. Yesterday, I had the opportunity to go visit uh, Rick Walmsley. And as Pastor Howard mentioned, he had a, just a dreadful accident. And um, I, I found out yesterday that it's actually kind of our fault that he had this accident. Because if you remember, what did we do with church last Sunday in the evening service? What did we have to do? We canceled our evening service. And if you're busy with us, please don't think we're heretical or whatever. But there was a water main break out front. And uh, the entrance was blocked with heavy equipment. They turned off the water to our facilities. We couldn't have, um, uh, we, we couldn't have uh, 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 services because of no water. Well, uh, Rick, he took the opportunity to go ice skating. And he was ice skating. And uh, he had a hard fall, cracked his, his head in two places. And he was bleeding. It was a very desperate situation. Um, uh, as Pastor Howard said, it really didn't look good. It looked like there was going to be a potential that Rick wasn't with us uh, today. That's how desperate it looked. And we sent out a prayer request, and, and, and our church began praying. Other churches began praying. And, um, and, and Rick, he, he made it through the first day and the second day and the 
third day. Uh, but on Wednesday, uh, I understand it was a pretty rough day. Uh, because of uh, whenever you have an injury to your brain like that, uh, they say that, the, 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 uh, I don't know what the proper medical terminology is, but he was fighting uh, getting better. And so he actually had to be tied and restrained in the bed. And so Bud and I, um, where's Bud? Bud, where? Uh, there you are. But uh, yesterday, Bud and I were in the room, and uh, and Cindy was there. That's uh, Rick's uh, wife. Cindy was telling us the story about how that she heard some things from Rick that that she's never heard before. <laughs> in, in, in fact, he would sit up in bed, and he wanted her to untie her, and she would say no, and he would say some things that, as a as a current deacon, maybe former deacon, that we're going to have to examine. And he would sling himself back in the bed and because she would say, no, I can't untie you. And he would sit up again and, and, he, and he would want to be untied and she wouldn't untie him. And he would say something and sling himself back in bed. And um, here's r- really what's happening. Rick's old nature was coming out this week. Now, I'm thankful he has a new nature, but the old nature was winning this week. And, um, and, so, and Cindy finally had to get up and leave the room, she told Bud and I, and take a walk because of the tension and how bad it was. And then on Thursday, the, as they did each day, the doctor came in and said, what day it is? And, and Rick said, it's Sunday. I looked at him and said, well, what day is it? It's Thursday. Um, Rick had no recollection from the time of his accident, anything that happened from Sunday until Thursday. He woke up Thursday, even though he was talking, saying some things he shouldn't have been saying to his wife. The reality is, is that he didn't even know what was going on. You know what that illustrates? I, I know that Rick has the new name. He's an excellent deacon. He loves the Lord, loves this church. He's a wonderful member of this church. I know that he has that new nature, but the old nature and the new nature was fighting as Rick was trying to recover from these injuries, and he wasn't in his right mind. You see, there is, uh, the, there is a, a fight that goes on um, because the real you oftentimes in a battle could come out. Listen to what the Bible said. Paul wrote about this. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness or purity in the fear of God. Peter wrote, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so ye be holy in all manner of conversation or lifestyle, because it is written, be ye holy For I am holy. Folks, God wants us to be as pure on the inside as we are pure on the outside. And at best, it would be a white garment with black threads. Uh, A commentator wrote this. It has never ceased to amaze me that many Christians have developed a kind of selective vision which allows us to be deeply and sincerely involved in worship and church activities and yet almost totally pagan in the day in and day out guts of our business lives and never even realize it. In his book, Loving God, it is written, Christianity is not just a high-sounding ritual which we perform on Sundays. Christianity is abiding by biblical standards of personal holiness and in turn seeking to bring holiness into the society which we live. Christians, we're not doing a very good job at this. We are not doing a very good job of bringing holiness and purity, practically speaking, into the world which we live. Oftentimes, we're three, four, five, ten steps behind the world, acting like the world. We're called to come out from among them and be ye separate, 
saith the Lord. Sixthly, there is ultimate purity. None of us have that and can have that right now. This is what God's people will have in their glorified bodies. The Bible says we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Therefore, to be pure in heart means first being saved, having the righteousness of Christ covering your heart. And secondly, it means to practice purity, living on the, uh, uh, having our inside, the purity of the inside, come out and manifest itself on the outside. Well, let me just uh, go on to discovery number two here. Discovery number two, we understand the meaning of what it means to be pure in heart. What is the practice to be pure in heart? What is that practice to be pure in heart? Okay, pastor, understand the meaning. How do I get that? How do I do that? Historically, people have devised many ways to achieve holiness or purity. Some have tried legalism, and that defines a harsh set of rules and regulations whereby they judge themselves in the world. Pharisees tried this. Jesus even rebuked those Pharisees, and he said that they live like whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Folks, we do not need more rules. We need truth. We do not need more rules. We need relationship. Some have tried modernism. This is people who relate to their society on human terms. The Sadducees did this, and they denied the great teachings of Scripture like the resurrection. And most uh, major groups, they, they just throw out the Bible because modernism is what they seek. And some have tried activism. These were the zealots who believed the only way to God were to change society by political activism. And our society does not uh, need a political change. We need a spiritual change. And if we have a spiritual change, we'll have a political change. We cannot become holy and pure by changing politically. We need a spiritual change. And some have even tried monasticism. This means to remove oneself from society and the concerns and the distractions of the world, devoting their energies all the time to prayer and meditation. Well, how can you tell others about Christ in this manner? You completely ostracize yourself from society. May I just say, God always provides a way to do what He commands. And we can never live holy lives by following our own ideas and our own set of rules. Listen to what the writer of Proverbs 20 and verse 9 asks, Who can say I have made my heart clean? Who can say I am pure from my sin? Jeremiah asks, Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Only God can help us become pure or holy in our actions and our thoughts. Scripture suggests, though, there are some specific steps of how we, all of us, can become pure in heart. Here's step number one. Step number one, there must be salvation through God's Son. There must be salvation through God's Son. A person can go to church. A person can give his money, be honest, trustworthy, faithful, and respectable, and still die and go to hell. Why is that? He's not pure in heart. Though one tries to be pure on the outside, it is impossible to be pure on the inside without Jesus Christ. Romans 3 and verse 20 says it this way, Therefore by the deeds of the law there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. We're very familiar verse in Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can never be saved by doing good works. The scale will never be tipped in your, in your favor if you're trying to do good works 
for salvation. If you've never truly been saved, I urge you this morning, trust Christ today. Enter into a relationship with him. And only he can make you pure in heart. Step number two, there must be a reliance on God's power. There must be a reliance on God's power. Just as you are powerless to save yourself, you are powerless to live righteously by yourself. I cannot live a good life by myself. I cannot live a holy life by myself. I can't wake up and say, Brent, today you're not going to sin. Just work really hard, Brent, and do whatever you can. You think the right things. You do the right things. I cannot make myself holy. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. That's why it's so important that I have trusted him as my personal Lord and Savior. Because apart from him, I cannot in myself become a holy pure person. There has to be a reliance on God's power. I finally learned that secret of the victorious Christian life is simply surrendering to God every day and beginning every day like the Apostle Paul understood when he wrote these words, my grace is sufficient for thee, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I am a weak man and I can only become strong as I rely on the Holy Spirit. Here's step number three. There must be uh, strength found in God's Word. There must be strength found in God's Word. For the Word of God, it is quick, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. It's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. No single Christian alive today that means not a single person in this auditorium can live in purity apart from the Word of God. The Word of God is a discerner. The Word of God helps you to know what you should do, what you should think, your attitudes to be. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart. Why is that? Why do I hide God's Word in my heart? That I might not sin against thee. Step number four. There must be there is leadership from God's Spirit. There is leadership from God's Spirit. The essence of a pure life is to be filled, and oftentimes we understand, misunderstand that word filled. A, a pastor come in, evangelists come in and say, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In 2023, we, 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 we don't understand that. Do I, have, do I fill it to a quarter tank, a half tank, a three-quarter tank? How much, how much filling do I have? That's not the right word. The right word is controlled in our English language for today. We are to be controlled by the Spirit of God. Galatians 5 and verse 16 says it this way, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh listen to that holy spirit that lives within you follow that still small voice and that necessitates sometimes you have to turn off the television sometimes you have to turn off the radio sometimes you have to turn off the cell phone in order to be able to hear the still small voice but that leadership of the holy spirit is vital if we're going to live um, this verse that Jesus taught his disciples. Step number five, there will be communion in God's presence. There will be communion in God's presence. You cannot be pure apart from prayer. We cannot know God's will, understand God's purpose, apply his word without talking to him. Prayer is simply talking to God. Ephesians 6 and verse 18 says that we're to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We need to pray for forgiveness when we inevitably sin. As I said earlier, David prayed a prayer, Create in me a clean heart. 
I'm so thankful for that verse. I'm thankful for 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9. It simply says this, as a Christian, if we confess our sins, it says, He is faithful. Aren't you thankful for that little phrase? He is faithful, and He is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Reminds me of the words of Dag. He was the Secretary General of the UN, and in the mid and late teen, uh, in the mid late nineteen fifties, he said this: "You cannot play with the animal in you without becoming wholly animal. Play with falsehood without forfeiting your right to truth. Play with cruelty without losing your sensitivity of mind. He who wants to keep his garden tidy doesn't reserve a plot for weeds." Folks, we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. Finally, this morning, let's look at discovery number three and examine the benefits that Jesus talks about of being pure in heart. The benefits of being pure in heart. The first benefit of this beatitude that he says right there in the verse, we will become blessed. Is there anyone here that says, I don't want to be blessed? That's for somebody else. Let somebody else be blessed. I don't want to be blessed. The fact is, we all want to be blessed. And he says this, that we will be blessed if it means happy, fortunate. If you want to be happy, become pure in heart. The second bit of this beatitude is that we will see God. Uh, we, we may, we, we're not ready to see God with our physical eyes. Maybe today, I rem- reminded the story of Moses. Moses, he was a great leader of Israel when God delivered him from the slavery in Egypt. And he's known as the lawgiver because he went to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments or the law from God. In Exodus chapter 33, while talking with God on the mountain, remember he would talk to God through a burning bush? That wasn't odd at all. Moses, he, he spoke of his heart's deepest desires, talking to God. He says, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. And God replied, Thou canst see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. However, God did allow Moses to see God's backside. And uh, he said, my face shall not be seen. Why couldn't Moses see God's face? He was not ready. And though he was saved and had been made pure in heart, he still lived a sinful fleshly life. We will not see the face of God until we die and go to heaven. Or we're raptured and we meet Jesus in the air. John said, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, we sh- when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We will be able to see God with spiritual eyes. Oh, we can't see him today with our physical eyes, but we can see him through the lens of our spiritual eyes as we get into the Word of God. The Holy Spirit um, uh, uh, speaks to us, and then we pray and talk with the Lord. Jesus said this, He who has seen me has seen the Father. And just... Uh, in that first century, uh, when there was the incarnation of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, we can see him today as he works in our lives and works in the lives of other people. When we shut out the distractions of the world, when we set our focus on purity, we can see God at work all around us. Have you ever seen God at work in your family, your church, your relationships, at work? One of the greatest joys is to see God at work in your lives. And I'm so thankful I can look at every section and I can point out people that I have personally seen God work in your lives. What a great testimony of your faith, of your desire to be pure in heart. You see, one of the greatest characteristics of Jesus is that unlike us, he never wore a mask. 
He was totally genuine. He was totally authentic. He did not hide because he had nothing to hide. He, he was truly pure in heart in the way he spoke to people, whether that was a, a man or a woman or a young boy or a young girl. He was pure in heart. One day there was a young minister. He was visiting a coal mine. Being back from West Virginia and Western Pennsylvania, there's a lot of coal mines. And at the end, uh, uh, at the entrance, he saw a beautiful white flower that was growing out of that black earth where they were coal mining. And he asked the question, he said, how can this flower blossom in such purity and radiance in this dirty mine? And what the guide said, throw some coal dust on it and see for yourself. And uh, the preacher took some handful of coal dust and threw it uh, toward the plants. And those sooty, par- those sooty particles, they just slid off the petals and, and left the flower as lovely and unstained as before. You see, its surface was so smooth that the grit and grime would not adhere to it. Do you know that's how we should live our lives? That we're so pure, we have such a relationship that the sin and stain of sin, just it comes at us, but it will not stick. It will not become part of our life. I wonder if you're surrendered. Oh, I have this mask. I have it for reasons because it's an elephant mask. But this mask was used in Sudan in different festivals to truly hide the identity of the person behind so that they could have their tribal dances because it was the mask that was in the the dance and not the person. I'm looking at hundreds and hundreds of people today that you wear a mask. In fact, if I were allowed to come to your home and you didn't know I was there, you would be mortified at the language that's used in your home, the tone of voice that's used, because you have a different mask at home than you do at church. And some of you, you have a beautiful mask here at church. I mean, you look great. You actually took time to get ready to come to church. You put on jewelry, ladies. Um, you, you wore a nice outfit today. There's some men that the only time you ever wear a suit's on Sunday, and you wore a suit today, and, and you look really sharp. We have a, hundreds of people that look amazing today. But at home, you'll go back to being the grouchy, cantankerous person that you don't want anyone in here to believe you to be. May I remind you, God knows who you are. And here's the challenge. Can we please take off the mask? Can we please put down the mask? Can we please allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in our hearts and our lives and become genuine, authentic, pure in heart?